Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. Be The Difference is presented by back-to-back ministries who exist to be a voice for orphan and vulnerable children around the world. I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Yeah, Sammy. Why don't you set us up for who Jen Powers is and what she is doing to be the difference? So Jen is the executive director of Tried and True Parenting, and really they exist to bring hope to families. They provide parenting coaching and teaching and training because... Honestly, there's no perfect parent, and I don't think anybody has this parenting thing figured out, but they are really a resource and a source of hope for families who are hurting, finding themselves in crisis for whatever reason. Yeah, I would say that if uh, Jen Powers is giving out her business cards, it just says, bringer of hope and joy to Mm -hmm. the world, that she just carries a grace uh, for herself and for us in this parenting realm as well. My kids would be the first ones to say, nope, no perfect parents in this place. I would also say if you flip that card over and there was a more aggressive version of that business card, and I kind of like those sometimes, it says punches shame in the face. Yeah. Because I think she comes <laughs> yes, after I it. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> There's no room for shame in our world after you hear this vantage point from Jen. And I can't wait for us to gift that to you. So look for these opportunities uh, to grab that hope and joy. Yeah, there's a specific statement that she uses in um, their parenting classes just about how shame has no place in those moments. And it it's something that I wanted to go back and play over myself in moments where I felt shame for what I didn't know or how I messed up or feeling like I'm the only one. Um, I think there will be a lot of those moments for you as listeners of just beautiful, powerful words spoken by Jen. Yeah, I love when a guest moves us in the moment as we're doing the interview or having the conversation to the point where we think that statement was just for me. And so audience, there are some statements here that were just for us, and I think there's some just for you. And with that being said, shout out to Jen's grandpa, who just steals the show in his uh, movement around his granddaughter. You're going to love that part. But here is Jen Powers, director of Tried and True Parenting. Uh, Jen, as we start this conversation, I want to ask you to think back before you were Jen Powers, before there was Tried and True, back when you were Jen LaPiccolo. I get the, the freedom of knowing that journey. Can you think of some early experiences that really started to ignite a passion for investing in others and specifically even in families? The first thing that came to mind is actually a very funny story. So I used to live in Orlando in my early years, so like 5 to 12-ish or so. And we lived on the fringe of a golf course. My grandfather worked on the golf course. Um, And we used to set up lemonade stands, like where our neighborhood hit the golf course and there was a crossover through our neighborhood to get to your next hole. And he would go around and turn off all the water fountains. So by the time the golfers got to us, they were like parched (laughs) with thirst. And um, I, we laugh about that all the time, actually was an elementary major in college and wrote a book about it. But anyway, I think that was the first moment where what was communicated to me, obviously, um, not in that moment, my brain couldn't wrap around this idea, but like the idea of I see you, Mm. you have something to offer this world, 
even as a little seven-year-old girl, Mm. I believe in you and I'm going to create space for you to step into that. And um, later, so like that combined with a couple other things later in my early 20s, I was working as a children's ministry pastor, which not married, no children, (laughs) but again, a space where my boss at the time, who was also my former youth ministry leader in high school, um, the Lord just made a way for us to cross paths again. He hired me as a children's ministry pastor. And in our one-on-one time, a couple years in, he's like, did all the natural questions of like, what's going on? How can I support you in the role? And then like five years out, what do you want to do? And I had this thing the Lord was just stirring in me that I wanted to to do dance with little girls and speak Mm. life into them and teach them through the vehicle of dance that there is a real king and a real life kingdom and you're a princess of his. And he's like, done, go be, Mm. go, go walk in this, go be who God created you to be. Again, he created space for me to find my voice, um, channel my gifting and walk in it. And so my dad did the same thing for tried and true. Like I um, was working for a social work agency for 10 years and we lost our funding. And so I was in this space again where I was coming alive in the work that was happening before me, watching families be transformed. And my dad said, you have to do this. Go out on your own. Go again, creating space, calling out and calling forth who God created me to be and then channel like championing me in that effort toward that end. So, but it goes all the way back to a golf course selling lemonade. And had my grandfather not done that, I mean, I don't even know if he had the vocabulary awareness to know what he was doing, but it happened and God used it. So I love that. I love that pattern of it wasn't necessarily that people were serving you and doing something for you. They were speaking into you that Mm -hmm. you could go and do, that you could follow the path that you had set before you and that you they gave you the confidence to walk yes. in it yes. rather than doing something for you. They, they waved you through the door. Yes. And yes. that, that's really what showed you that you can serve others. Yes. Is that what you would say first opened your eyes to serving others? Those experiences that I just described awakened that mm-hmm. and then gave me eyes by the grace of God to see here's more space where I can step into something. And I, and I think had I not had that bolstering of confidence from my early childhood, I may have given way to fear or doubt or others. I don't have anything to offer, you know. Mm. So to answer your question, um, I was involved in a high school ministry where actually I met Chris's wife um, called Mishpika Incorporated. And I think that is where I saw, I, I began to experience rub shoulders with people who had way different backstories than I did and began to see brokenness of humanity and wow, God has space for me to be a conduit of hope. I was resonating as you were sharing the idea that someone can invite you in to something that changes the narrative. It didn't feel like a bubble or it doesn't feel like a that your neighborhood is different until someone says, mm-hmm. hey, come see this and come be with us. And then it creates another vantage point. So our vantage points change. So sure. we don't ever have to have shame in any of our like no. upbringing or our no. conversation, right. right? Right. One of the thoughts though that I had that you were talking on in the first in these couple of answers that you gave, you you give some really good honor to your father, 
to um, a former youth minister that then became the minister that like asked you questions. But I just want to ask you, how did you already have the answer? Because in both of those, what I noticed early on is you had an answer for both. I'm doing a lemonade stand. I hmm. am wanting. I want to teach dance. I want to yeah. start this thing for families. Like in all three of these scenarios that you've given, you were prepared for what God was already doing in your heart, I think, or in your mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what role do you think that has to play in in your story as to how you were ready when the crisis came? Because a couple of those were crisis you know, elements of like, well, what do we do next? Or how do we solve this problem? Or we have no funding. Where are you going from here? When, I, when the crossroads happened or these moments of conversation or life, life opportunity happened, something propelled me forward. And I, I really don't know what it was other than the kindness of God in that moment feeling seen, heard, and valued by a good, good father and trusting in his heart toward me and his nature and character to just move forward. I think that's why I feel so passionate about the work I'm in now because when you experience that, this is going to make me emotional, <laughs> when, you, when people create space for you to operate in who God made you to be, call it out, call it forth, and you start to walk in it, that's where the kingdom of heaven intersects earth. And when you taste that and experience that, you want that Mm. for everybody around you. And even people who are mired in deep, deep brokenness and don't believe that for themselves, don't see that for themselves, you you want to come alongside and breathe that hope into their life and call that out and call it forward because you know what that tastes like. And and that's fullness of joy. That's fullness of hope in this world. And so – um, God is very creative and innovative, and we're using parent education as a vehicle toward that end, but it, it's a vehicle. Like, really, this is about offering people the gospel and offering people a taste of who God is. So I love the, the words that you continue to use of just joy and kindness and hope. Are you always optimistic? Is that, a, oh, is that your approach to life? <laughs> maybe we need to call my husband right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Am I naturally optimistic? I want to be, I want I want to reflect that. If I have anything of any beauty to offer to the world, it's because of the redemptive work of God in me and the people who have come into my life that have been a gift to me and, and modeled that to me and offered it to me. And so now yeah, that's like, that's discipleship, right? right. Like I've been yeah. invested in and now I have the privilege and challenge and opportunity and responsibility of doing that for others. Yeah. Well, you painted such a beautiful picture a few minutes ago of like what is possible when you call someone out into the fullness mm-hmm. of who God created them to mm-hmm. be. And like you said, like parent education is just the vehicle to get there. But that picture you you painted of just like fullness of joy and supporting others to walk in who God created them to be, that is kind of the heartbeat and mission of tried and true. Mm-hmm. But was there like a specific moment where that picture materialized in your mind and you said, this is what this is what we're doing. This is what it'll look like. Like, when did that moment happen? So I shared earlier in our conversation that um, I was doing parent education at a so- social work agency in Madisonville. And um, we lost our funding. And we, they very kindly offered me a, an array of other jobs, and nothing felt like it was landing. 
I mean, it was landing for our budget. It was landing for like some predictability around employment, but it was not landing on me in such a way that I felt that burn my saddle again to chase after it. And so my husband, Chad, and I actually took 24 hours to figure out what was the next thing. And so we, I mean, remember this like it was yesterday. We found ourselves sitting at Carabella Coffee in Covington, Kentucky, kind of going through our options and um, asking the Lord, what's the next right thing? And um, really, between the conversation I shared with my dad and Chad in that moment, he's like, just painted like a what if picture. Like, what if you went out and did this on your own? Mm-hmm. Let's let's draw. Let's write. Let's just take a few minutes and brainstorm and dream in that space. And when he um, posed that in front of me again, I mean, I'm married, like to an incredible guy who once again God used to create space to dream. And I think when that became a tangible, viable option and he, I had his backing and support, it like set me loose to go dream in that space. And so on a napkin in the middle of Covington, Kentucky, at a coffee shop, the logo for Tried and True came to life. Our mission came to life. Our values came to life. And again, I think it was one of those moments where like, we're just following in the momentum of the story God is already writing. And he has given us eyes to see it. And now it's all coming to life. I love that that started on a napkin. Yeah. Yes. How many incredible ideas in the world have started because somebody dared to dream Mm -hmm. and jotted it down on a napkin. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the author of Harry Potter started with notes on Mm -hmm. a napkin. Like Mm -hmm. that, I think that sometimes we think it has to start bigger than that. Yeah. No, I know there was no like clashing of symbols. There was no like, you know, big offer written on a piece of paper. Like we're just having a drink of coffee and asking the Lord what's next. Like we're just ordinary people, like wanting to love and care deeply for others. And this was the thing God had in his storyline for me. Like I, and I am not, it's funny because now we both like, have our own independent things, but we would never call ourselves entrepreneurs. We would never call ourselves like, let's take a risk, a financial risk, or like, you know, a people relationship risk. Like, let's never in a million years. So only because of the Lord and his kindness, like, did we step into this knowing that, again, this is something that he had long planned out and we just get to partner with him in it. And so, yeah, it was absolutely birthed on a napkin over coffee. So, but he, I know God knows the way I'm wired and because I like predictability and control and steady income and all the things, (laughs) used my husband to say, you're going to Nebraska to be trained in this model as a a formal professional national authorized trainer. And so while I was gone, Chad created my website, my business cards, my Facebook page. I came back, we launched two days later and then through social media, I met Kevin Payton, the executive director of Joshua's Place, and then a couple weeks later I was training in in one of their classrooms. The description that you just gave to us of who you are, you know, it's just we're a couple who want to give to the world what's been given to us. That that works for us, even just on this podcast, it works for the three of us pretty well. But there are groups and communities that don't often get uh, yeah. to receive the same types. And, and a lot of those in, in an area of disparity 
and in places of division, it ends up being bio parents Mm -hmm. that often get um, fractured in this. And so tried and true really efforts toward family preservation. Tell me about some of the hardships or even maybe some of the stigmas that you see biological parents experience that that just aren't the same and they're they're just not okay. Well, like, let's be real, right? Like, it takes the wind to blow for parenting guilt to fall on anybody, Mm -hmm. right? It's powerful. And no parent has children and says, I want to mess this up. We all want to get it right. So I think one of, one of our deep, deep values that um, has lots of layers to it is humility. Mm-hmm. And tried and true, that's one of our five values. And um, we, we only approach relationship with parents who are in a despairing place, who are in brokenness with me too. And we, we experience the same guilt. We experience um, the same hiccups. I mean, I just told you guys before we sat down, I had my hardest parenting day yesterday. Um, And I'm still asking the Lord, what's the next right thing? How do we walk this out? And so um, I think our heart is to normalize that no one has figured this out. We're parent trainers, but we've been trained in a model, and we mess it up every single day. Mm -hmm. And the essence of parenting is rupture and repair and creating space for redo. For us first, it starts with us first being what we want to see. And so really we're normalizing relationship. We're mm-hmm. normalizing that we're all broken. We all are trying our best. Do, we're all trying to put one foot in front of the other and there's gonna be fallout because this is just the world we live in. Yeah, I do a little parent coaching training as well. And I always like to tell audiences that one time I told a kid I was gonna cancel his birthday like literally, I I told him we are going to cancel your whole birthday, which is horrible. Like who does that? But I say we that, all do that because we've all done that. <laughs> yes, like, we yes. we've all done that. And we and that idea of normalizing it is so helpful. Right. So when we can lead with story, which is the humility element of tried and true, that is vital. It is a hill I will die on every single day. Um, we normalize, right? No one, again, no one has kids and says, I want to mess this up. We all want to get it right. How have some of those stories of hope started to manifest with the parents and the families that you started to work with? I think those are the spaces in the middle of teaching the four steps to corrective teaching or a parent redo where we see, oh gosh, I'm, I'm offering something to the equation here. I'm bringing some of my own stuff into a parenting moment. And it doesn't become like the conversations in between classes don't become about like, oh, step two didn't really fly. Or actually, step two was a win of this Mm -hmm. parenting tool you just taught me in the class that happened two days ago. It becomes, oh, gosh, like I'm bringing something to this parenting dance. And that is the moment where we get to speak. We all do. And no shame. In fact, one of our class rules is no shaming, blaming, or guilting yourself for what you didn't know before you knew it. Hmm. Or others. We're not going to do that to, you know, elbowing the husband next to me or the the aunt Susie who's caring also for our kids. Like, you may not do that to yourself and you may not do that to anyone else because, again, we're all doing the best we can. At the same time, like, there's an opportunity for us, honestly, more often than not, the feedback we're getting from parents in our class is um, they've felt seen, heard, and valued the first time in their junk and what they're bringing to parenting. When you think about a family or a mom or whoever it may be, because there's all sorts of different 
people who come through your doors. Sure, yeah. When you think about them on quote unquote graduation day and what is your hope and goal for them? What do you want to see in, in that family and in that individual? I think at the, at the end of the day, we want them um, to know they're not alone. We want them to know the story's not over yet. It's never too late to prioritize your kids and to invest in your family, even if they're in their 20s, even if they're long out of their care. It's never, ever, ever too late. And we will resource you. We're here. We're not going to high five you after six weeks of classes and say, "Hey, I hope it works out for you. Good luck." Like mm. we're here to to be a conduit of hope, as long as you want to be in relationship and to be present with you. So a family goes through six weeks of you know, sessions, and then they graduate. And your vantage point is to continue just a feeding hope to say, "You have what it takes to do this." Mm-hmm. Can you think of a of a story? that a family has given back to you weeks later that just reminded you of, yeah, hey, Jen, you've got what it takes to do this. Like, we wanted to tell you where we are as a family. Mm. Keep moving forward with tried and true because it's working. Can you think of a story that reconnected with you just to encourage you to keep going? Um, So we had a um, family who moved across the United States, um, three bio girls who had um, deep, deep, deep trauma mm. coming to us. And um, kind of like last-ditch effort, we don't know what to do. We heard about this model. We heard that you train it. Um, lots and lots of wounding. Um, and when they came to us, they were broken themselves. I mean, very little girls, seven and under, four, five, seven, who had just experienced the most horrific trauma of their life. So they came to us, and we knew, again, like we refer out, we are, we, there are things that we don't do and we have no business doing because there are licensed clinicians who tend to that very holy and sacred work. Mm. So they had that wraparound, um, but they also knew that they had, um, they, they had a need for a different mode of operating given that level of trauma that took place and relocating to a new part of the United States. So... Um, we 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 did a lot of praying for this family as they walked out their experience with us. And really what they needed was, there are a lot of different layers of what they needed, but what we felt God um, inviting us to as we engage with this family is teaching them how to um, cultivate felt safety in their home, how to create, like cultivate joy, like finding space where they can um Reauthor their connection with them in a way that would promote healing, and um, yeah. So, following that series, um, we got pictures where the we got blast texted. In fact, we got um, one just a couple of days ago where these little girls are receiving care from them for the first time. They they were in spaces within the walls of their own house where they couldn't even be in close proximity because of the effect of the trauma on these little girls' lives. And we got a picture of mom and the oldest little girl hugging. Mm-hmm. And um, so what they communicated to us is you taught us how to develop felt safety in the context of our home, both like with physical environment, nurturing care, all the things that you can do to promote that even at a distance to where my kids felt safe enough that they initiated a hug with me. So my word, like if, and, and, and I'm, I have to believe that some piece of healing happened in that little girl's heart when she got a hug from her mom that she hadn't had 
in two years because she just couldn't receive it yeah. due to what she went through. So um, we get a lot of pictures of like beautiful things God is doing to heal and mend parent-child relationships that you, a picture speaks a thousand words, right? So those spaces are really beautiful to see something um, really unique happened here. I think those are the pictures that help you keep going. Because have you ever wanted to quit? Oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, absolutely. This is hard work. I mean, you guys do relationship life on life work too, and it's messy because our wounding rubs against somebody else's yeah. wounding. We're triggered, they're triggered. We want to like toss in the towel, you know, and run for the hills. But at the end of the day, like this, getting texts like that is like, we're doing the right thing, one family at a time offering hope in a place that feels absolutely despairing of hope. I mean, to the natural eye, a story such as this family's, there's, I, without the Lord in it, <laughs> there's no hope. And you want to cry at night yeah. hearing what, the, what yeah. these little girls have gone through and say, I'm so sorry, I have nothing to offer you. But that's so not true. There's so much to offer. Yeah, well, I also hear you over and over again saying you're going to, live it and work it out in your own life, in your yeah. own heart, in your own walk with God first mm. before you're going to coach or train or tell someone else what to do. Sure. Like that yeah. authenticity is really, really, I think, what probably is what is most impactful for your participants, mm. for them to say, like, Jen doesn't just talk the talk. Mm. Like, you yes, are walking you. it out. Yeah. Well, we, we have no business offering things that we're not practicing ourselves, mm. right? And we we have to do our family well and prioritize that if we're at all going to be what we want to see for parents. If we're asking parents to be what they want to see, then we absolutely have to practice that yeah. as a board and staff and tried and true. It's a have to. And it's actually a get to. Yeah. Like yeah. our yeah. God is playful. Yeah. He's engaging yes. and intentional. Yeah. And we get to do that with him. And offer that to other people. So, Well, Jen, I want to say thank you on behalf of the listeners who got to hear your story today, but also on behalf of every mom, parent, grandparent, aunt, foster parent who has sat in one of your classes mm -hmm. and felt the burden of shame lifted from their shoulders mm -hmm. because you said, me too, mm -hmm. who has heard words spoken into their lives that they never believed would be true of them. Mm. Thank you on behalf of the parents who walk out of your class believing in themselves and that they're the kids in their home are there on purpose and who know that they're not alone as they walk out of those doors. And thank you on behalf of their kids who are living different life trajectories, experiencing joy and play in their home because of the work that you do. Chris, I don't know if you could tell, but as I was thanking Jen, I was trying honestly not to cry. I was feeling pretty emotional, not because I was sad necessarily, but just thinking about like the hope that tried and true and Jen specifically is giving to parents who sit in those classrooms and who are on the other end of phone calls with them. and the way that shame can sit so heavy on a person and that Jen and her team is just lifting it right off. Yeah, and there's no place for it at all within her. Like there's no there's no closet where shame can just live. When you hear Jen speak, 
and there's no place in the story where you might validate some shame or guilt. There's just a, this just doesn't belong here and we're gonna be transparent and we're gonna be vulnerable and families are being transformed. I mean, the fact that a child felt safe to be hugged mm -hmm. by a family member, I can't, I can't imagine the gift that someone would give me as a father if for the first time in my life, one of my daughters said, I feel okay with you hugging me when that hadn't existed because I probably give, I don't know, 50 hugs a day. Yeah, it's taken for granted probably. Yeah, yeah. and on that level, but, to, but to, to just imagine for a moment that it might be withheld mm -hmm. and that there are families who don't have that type of equity in their home because of either things that have happened or uh, experiences that we're processing through together, that a win would be getting a note to say, we hugged. Like yeah. that's all it can say, and it, and period, and it's yeah. done. And what a win! Yeah, just such healing. And mm. I think that really what Jen was saying is that like they have become like a conduit for healing. Yes. And ultimately, Jen repeatedly gave all the credit to God that it is God who does the healing work. However, she has made herself available to Him, her and her team. Yeah, and she is thriving in the skill set that she has, not uh, holding back because of who may be defined or described as what a leader looks like. Mm -hmm. Like her leadership shown through this entire conversation. And it's, it'd be interesting even to me if we interviewed her grandpa mm -hmm. or her husband. Yeah, how about that turning off the water spigots? <laughs> I, I mean, come love on. it. Yeah, that he, <laughs> but he didn't see himself as the leader and her like stepping into this like opportunity, he saw there's leadership here. What can I do to create the space for people to connect with my granddaughter? Yeah, he like, paved the way. He I will paved the way for her so success. That you can have some lemonade <laughs> over here. Yeah, he paved the way for her success, and then other people did too. Whether that was a boss or later her husband, there were repeatedly these moments where, like you said, I think somebody saw leadership and said. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to encourage you and pave the way for you. And if I can, open doors for you. Yeah, and that reminds me of a story that uh, I go to a lot. It's, it's been really powerful in my own narrative. And Jen fits this to me. And it's a story that comes from the Old Testament. If you're connected to, to the Bible or to the Old Covenant on any level, you've probably heard of this guy. His name's Moses. Mm. Historically, uh, he's one of the leaders in the context of the nation of Israel and then Christianity. There's a story that always stands out to me where there's a war coming and Moses is in a season where it's not his battle to fight. And I often think of enemies in my own life of like, who are we fighting and how? Mm -hmm. And I think shame, as we talked about earlier, is one of them. Yeah, I think so. And instead of Moses trying to figure out if he's got one more in him to fight on behalf of, he looks around and sees that it's this guy Joshua and his community that are fighting a fight. And as I hear Jen talk about the moms especially that she's connected to and these stories, I hear these Joshua stories hmm. of young moms who are fighting to keep a family together, advocating for equity and trying to defeat shame. There's a key role that Moses plays in that story though. He has to go up on top of this mountain and, I'm not sure why God set it up this way in this story, but he did, that as long as Moses' arms stay up, mm -hmm. Joshua keeps to moving forward. When Moses gets tired, Joshua seems to fall back. 
and friends come around Moses. And, and they hold they up stand. his arms. Yeah, they hold him up. They stand yeah. under his arms. And as Jen was talking about Chad, her husband, and her grandfather, or these other people in her lives, and even some of the staff around Tried and True Parenting, I keep thinking that it's like when your arms stay up, Jen, this generation of parents keep moving forward and shame has no place. And they get to experience victory. And so as a takeaway, um, I just wonder what role do you play in that story? Because mm-hmm. there are multiple Moseses. We don't always frame Moses in a female space in that story, that it's always a lot of times a guy. <laughs> There's some really influential women who um, we get to stand under and hold their arms up. It can be a child who's in control of a journey and a story. Who's Joshua? Who's Moses? Uh, the names are, are um, Caleb and her that stand under these arms, or Aaron and her that stand under these arms. And who's Aaron? Who's her in your story? Chris, I think that is a beautiful note to end on. Um, we are grateful to Jen for her vulnerability, for the wisdom that she spoke with, for her transparency, and for the ways that anyone who comes across her path is different because of the way she's chosen to listen to God and be a conduit for his healing. Information about Tried and True is in the show notes. And um, we're so grateful to you for joining us. Thank you to Kohatch Mason, to Mikey, our producer, and we'll see you on the next episode.